So what do you think about when you hear the word Advent? I mean, honestly, do you think about Advent candles or Advent wreaths? Or do you think about Advent calendars that have become so popular because who doesn't want to count down the days until Christmas Day, right? I mean, kids love to count down the days until that glorious moment when all their pent-up anticipation will gloriously be revealed in everything from a, plon- from a pony to a PlayStation 5. Or maybe not this year. <laughs> for either one of those, for multiple reasons. But we all love Christmas, right? We all know Christmas, but what does Advent mean? And where did it even come from? Like, why does the church talk about Advent? Because if you're like me, if you have any friends who are Anglican or Orthodox... There's no one more obnoxious than my Anglican pastor friends during this time of the year. I mean, they're so nerdy. They say things like, you don't celebrate Advent, you'll keep Advent. Excuse me. Um, So what does Advent really mean? Or sometimes they say things like, it's not time to listen to Christmas music. It's not Christmas yet. Christmas is December 25th through January the 6th. It's Advent. So am I wrong for listening to Christmas music beginning in Halloween? I don't think so. I don't, although some of you in my family might disagree. Where does Advent actually come from? Um, I do think there is something very important for us to embrace about Advent, even though we might not see this celebration exactly laid out in the Scriptures. Over the centuries, the church has taught us what it means to anticipate His coming. Really quick, stick with me here, just in case you think there's a certain way to do Advent. If you go back to the 4th and 5th centuries, that's where we see Advent showing up. And it was connected to the Feast of Epiphany. That's later in January. At the Feast of Epiphany, the church celebrated everything from the Incarnation to the coming of the Magi to uh, Jesus' baptism and even uh, his first miracle at Cana. And during that time, as new believers who were preparing for baptism, as they waited 40 days leading up to the Feast of Epiphany, they would do acts of penance. They would be very somber. They would, fat, they would feast, not feast, they would fast, I'm sorry. They would fast. It would be a very somber time for them. That's where Advent actually came from. It wasn't even connected in many ways to Jesus' coming. But over the centuries, the church has come to see the importance of remembering Jesus' coming. Adventus is the Latin word, which means coming. It comes from the Greek word parousia, which If you look at it biblically, yes, it refers to the incarnation, but it refers even more to Jesus' second coming in the clouds. Did you know the scriptures talk so much more about his second coming than they do about his coming at his birth? And so we too can learn during this time of Advent. Because just to be honest with you, oftentimes we rush into Christmas so quickly that we merely want to seize the joy. And we've seen that this year. People saying, 
hey, we need to put our lights out early because we need light in this dark year. And I was guilty of that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I had my lights out before Thanksgiving. You can talk about me if you want. I love Christmas lights. We had our Christmas trees in our house. Yes, I said plural, trees up before Thanksgiving. But in the midst of looking at the lights, here's the thing. We must be careful in rushing to seize joy that we don't leave sadness and loneliness and fear and anxiety and shame behind. Because our emotions don't work that way. I've got the eight major emotions, um, and you'll see them on the screen. And if you think about that for a moment, you never just experience gladness. See, all of these emotions are positive, and that's why we need Advent, to consider all of them. We never just experience gladness. I'll give you an example. What makes a soldier's return home at Christmas so Beautiful. I mean, can you watch those videos on social media of a soldier surprising his kids or surprising her kids at school or their spouse? Can you watch those without tearing up? I can't. What makes that so beautiful, so glad? Isn't it all the sadness and loneliness that everyone experienced while the soldiers were deployed? The gladness is overwhelming because the sadness has been excruciating. Do you see that as we think of Christmas, we can't merely rush to Jesus' birth, but we have to consider all of the darkness if we want to see just how bright the light of Christ truly is. If we rush to Jesus' birth and gifts and the lights too quickly without seeing the darkness, we will miss out on the joy of Jesus' rescue. During these three weeks, we're going to read through the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to begin today with John the Baptist and the story of um, how he began. And the plan is to read these long passages of Scripture and give you some, something to meditate on throughout the week. And today the big idea is this. True joy is found in believing. True joy is found in believing. And we're going to find this to be true. That Christians believe and don't believe an awful lot. And the hope is that the more we see Jesus, the more we believe and the greater joy we experience. So look at verse 1. Luke begins and he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, which the word the name Theophilus just means friend of God. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The first thing that we see is that Jesus gives us certainty. In verse 4, Luke says, So that Theophilus, you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Certainty is a good word for 2020. Because it's one thing we haven't experienced, right? 
I mean, certainty has been a word that seems to elude us no matter how much planning or preparation. And that's honestly true of any year. It's just come to the forefront this year. In any year of our lives, we will experience death and sickness and tragedy and sadness and anxiety. But most of us try to avoid it. And in 2020, it has been unavoidable for all of us. When we can't find certainty, we are tempted to escape into fantasy. Whether that's some storyline over and over again in the newest Hallmark movie that you've been watching, or the cozy, make-believe world of Santas and elves and reindeer and snowmen and the Polar Express. And my goodness, you can experience all of that without even getting cold. Like, there is a fantasy that we can experience. Some people think Christmas is a sugary fiction to make us feel better in the middle of the winter. A form of extended escapism and retail therapy. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with snowmen or lights. I don't think so. I love snowmen, and I love lights. And I don't even think there's anything wrong with escapism at times. As long as we know what it is. I have a quote for you from Christopher Ash. He says this. Jesus Christ is not like Santa Claus. One day each one of us will come face to face with truth. Face to face with Jesus. When we die or when Jesus returns, it will be no good trying to escape into a fictional world. It won't pass to say, but I like to think this or that about God and about Jesus. That will be a great day. But perhaps also a frightening one. Luke tells us the truth with certainty now so that we can be ready to meet with truth then. Jesus gives us certainty. Secondly, in verses 5 through 7, we see that Jesus offers hope to the hopeless. Jesus offers hope to the hopeless. In verse 5, Luke writes... In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Jesus offers hope to the hopeless. Stop for just a moment. Do you feel the sadness in this story? In fact, some of you feel the personal pain in these words. No child. For some of you, you desire to marry, but you haven't found the right spouse. Others married, but the birth of a child has never been given by God. One childless couple said it this way. That strange grief which has no focus for its tears and no object for its love. If you think about it, how do you grieve if you're childless? There's no anniversary of childlessness to send a sympathy card. No photograph or grave to visit to remember. Just emptiness. And joy that didn't come. Zechariah and Elizabeth's sorrow and pain helps us 
to deepen our grasp of the wonder of the gospel of Jesus. Because all throughout the Bible, we've seen a pattern that childlessness is a pattern that repeats over and over again. Think about Abraham and Sarah. They're childless until Isaac. Then Isaac and Rebekah, they're childless until Esau and Jacob. Jacob and Rachel, they're childless until Joseph is given. And many, many more. Even though childlessness isn't a punishment from God for any of these couples. Even still, Elizabeth in verse 25 describes the feeling as that of disgrace. Even though the scriptures say they are righteous and blameless, she still feels unloved, disliked. As if God has withheld his his blessing from her. Many people would have considered Elizabeth's childlessness in this day to be a disgrace. Because they thought it was a punishment for her sin. Kind of like Job's friends who accused him in much the same way of being punished by God because of his circumstances. And in some strange fashion, childlessness is a disgrace. Because we live in a world that is corrupted by sin. So that means every sickness and every sadness and every disability is evidence of God's judgment. That means we all live in a world that's marked in ways large and small by disgrace. Because of our sin. And that's the beauty of John's birth. Not simply that Elizabeth's disgrace is taken away, but that John would come to herald the hope of another child, Jesus, who would come to bring hope of wiping away all disgrace. John's birth doesn't mean that all couples who struggle with childlessness will have the hope of a happy birth. John's birth heralds Even a deeper and even more wonderful grace. Jesus' birth enables us to put our hope, all of us, to put our hope, not on a change in our circumstances, but in the joy that is found in one who can remove all disgrace. We pick up in verse 8, and Luke writes... Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We see that Jesus gives us joy and gladness. 
Zechariah is going about his normal duties as a priest when suddenly his lot is chosen to enter into the temple to burn incense with thousands of priests. I think there were about 18,000 Levites at this time. This would have been like a once in a lifetime opportunity. So Zechariah goes in. He's got to be nervous. All the people are praying and waiting outside. He's going before the Lord. And suddenly Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, appears to Zechariah. And he tells Zechariah in verse 14, And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Not only will Zechariah experience great joy and gladness because of the birth of his long-awaited son, but the entire world will experience the hope that comes at the birth of a rescuer. Every baby, at the moment of their birth, there is this magical moment of hope. Because there is a new life. And we think all that the possibilities and opportunities of that life. And this life that John would herald. The life of Jesus would give hope not to the one person but to the world throughout centuries. Verse 16 says he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. John will cause men and women all over the land to return to God. To find repentance and faith in him. And the amazing joy that comes in trusting God, knowing Him. But church, let me say this. Listen to me. But, but, joy is a very vulnerable emotion. Joy is a very vulnerable emotion. Look at verses 18 through 25. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. (laughs) I don't know if angels were sarcastic, but it's funny to read this with sarcasm. I mean, it's it's Gabriel for crying out loud. Uh, I'm Gabriel? I stand in the presence of God? And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you the good news. I don't think he said it sarcastically, but it's fun to read it that way. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I want to come back to that in a minute, because I don't think it means what we think it means. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done it for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. We see that Jesus helps us in our unbelief. Jesus helps us even in our unbelief. I think many of us in the church in the South can identify with Zechariah way too clearly. Picture it for a moment. He's standing in the presence of the angel Gabriel. He's fearing for his life at one moment. And the next moment he is questioning the authenticity of the angel's message. Verse 18 he says... How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He's saying, I know how this works. I know how babies are born. And this ain't happening. Not to an old guy. And not to an old woman. Zechariah struggled. As many of us do. 
It's clear he was a believer. The scriptures say he was righteous and blameless, which doesn't mean sinless, but it means they were genuine. What you saw outwardly fit who they were inwardly. They were true believers. But like all true believers, did you know sometimes we don't believe? And that's okay to admit that we need help in our unbelief. Especially when belief hits close to home. Something personal. Something that we've dreamed of that's so near and dear to our hearts. Sometimes it's in those moments that it's hardest to believe. I was reminded of that this last week. You guys doing the CBR journal, Community Bible Reading Journal. And it's just a, a list of, you know, uh, two chapters a day to read through. Matthew 8 this last week. Really interesting. Jesus, he instantly heals some lepers. And then later on in the story, he, um, oh, the centurion, uh, the centurion soldier, his servant is sick at home. And the centurion soldier shows amazing faith. And Jesus heals his servant from far away. And then he heals Peter's mother-in-law. There's all these healings that take place. And then the next thing you know, Jesus and the disciples in Matthew 8, they're on a boat, there's a storm, and the disciples come to Jesus and they wake him up. And they say to him in Matthew 8, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And as I read that this week, I looked at Jesus' response to them and Jesus replies with a question. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? I always have taken that to be a sense of a rebuke. But as I read it this week, the Spirit pointed out to me, there's a question mark there. Jesus said it with a question. He asked them a question. What if you actually, what if he meant for us to actually answer the question? Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And I began thinking, what were the disciples afraid about? They were afraid of a storm. Oh my goodness, a storm? They're fishermen. They've seen storms their whole life. They know storms. But in this moment, they feared for their lives. Why? Because they know storms. And they knew they were in trouble. What areas of your life do you know? What areas of your life do you think, man, I, I got this taken care of. Like, I, I know, fill in the blank. And that Jesus might be saying for something so familiar or so pedestrian or so everyday for you, I even want you to exercise faith in those things. In those things that are closest to your heart, that are most personal. Sometimes it's the hardest to trust Jesus in the familiar. You see, uh, I've said over and over again, I stole it from Paul Tripp, that familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. What do I mean by that? When you become familiar with something, it loses its beauty and its wonder. You go see the Grand Canyon and you're amazed by it, but if you set up an RV beside the Grand Canyon and live there for the next 25 years, when you wake up in the morning, it's not going to have the same kind of wonder it had the first time that you saw the Grand Canyon. Familiarity breeds contempt. Where are you struggling in your life to be sure? How are you a believer and an unbeliever? Could you quietly give it to God this Advent season? Zechariah is struck dumb. He's unable to speak until John's birth. And I've always thought of that as a punishment, but I'm not so sure that's true. If it is a punishment, even God's punishments are good. 
I think it was a necessary discipline to give him time to listen and to think quietly until he could see evidence of God's word being revealed in his life. This Christmas, God promises new life to those who are hopeless. Just as he promised a son to an old couple who had given up hope. I've got a couple questions that I want to leave you with today. They're going to be on the screen. And then we're going to end with just a song. And it's not going to be a song we sing. It's going to be a song that um, a gal up in Selma, Tacoma at uh, the first... Selma Church wrote, her name's Jenny, and uh, it's a song from like 10 years ago. And I just want you to listen to it and meditate upon it. And as you do, think about these questions. How do you need to quietly set your hope on the gospel this Advent season? Where is Jesus calling you to live by faith and not by sight? Maybe it's somewhere personal, in something familiar, in an area of your life that maybe you gave up on a whole long time ago. Listen to the Spirit's voice. Listen quietly until God gives you the strength to obey through the power of His Spirit. Let's pray and then I'll give you a few minutes to listen to this song and meditate upon these truths. And then Chris will be up to share our benediction. Father, as we remember Jesus' birth, we today remember John's birth. Both which came with great joy. Father, may we too turn to you with all our hearts and wait joyfully for that day when Jesus will return to rescue all who are waiting for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.